Uh, so today we're looking at the final piece of the armor of God. You can go read it um, and you'll see for yourself uh, kind of how we got here in terms of the armor of God. And it's, it's quite helpful. It is, if you're going to go do that, it is helpful to go read all of Ephesians. It's quite a small book um, in the Bible. And how we get there, <coughs> Paul goes, finally, and then says these things about the armor of God, which means, you know, finally means there's a whole bunch of stuff before you get to the end. That's quite important context for what Paul's saying. Um, and if you go read that again, you, you see spiritual warfare is not like this weird sort of Christianity. If you've been a Christian for a long time or you've had a lot of Christian experiences, you might have experienced some really strange stuff. Um, and we find out Paul's writings is not like super strange. Uh, it's like um, how to work well as a Christian, how to be a great boss, how to be a wonderful husband, how to be a great wife, how to be good kids, how to be good parents. How, you know, he's like, this is, he's saying these things, and then he's saying, you know, finally be strong in the Lord and his body, you know, stand in the power. He's, he's thinking about our lives and how we stand against the devil. And then, of course, we are, we are not standing against people. So we have all sorts of opposition. Um, I was telling my wife this week, I was, I was having a swim in the ocean, uh, as happens sometimes in the summer, but, but like a proper swim, like, you know, for exercise. And um, I wasn't just trying to float. And... <laughs> I was going in the wrong direction because uh, even though it's the ocean, there's right paths uh, that fish and swimmers know about and no one else know about, knows about. And I got in someone's way and they kind of just pushed me under the water and kind of held me there for a while. And um, they're re-baptizing me in their kindness. And came up and they were like, they were lecturing me on the pathway that should be taken. Um, and I was so grateful for the series because my mind raced to so many things that it wanted to say. Uh, my instincts were, were sinful, um, and there was so much I wanted to say. But, but putting on the I knew even then, hey, this guy's not my enemy. And, you know, I've, fr- I've frustrated him, but he's not my enemy. And even though he probably was inappropriately trying to baptize me, he's still not my enemy. And so he, when he kind of paused because he ran out of breath, I said, uh, I hope you have a great day put my head back into the water and just carried on swimming, um, which I don't know if he thought I was being cheeky or whatever, but it was, I, don't, I have no fight left with you. Fine, I'll go swim in the other lane um, in the middle of the ocean. Uh, <laughs> but I hope you have a great day. The armor of God changes us and changes our behaviors towards other people. And I, I just want to be clear. Don't go, oh, Mark, not, Mark's such a nice guy. I had three or four arguments yeah. instinctively ready to push back. They were all me, and they were all unsanctified. The goodness of God helped me switch lanes and go, oh, sorry, you're not my enemy. I hope you have a fantastic day. Uh, I'll change lanes. Um, and so God in His grace uh, does strengthen us and dress us for these things. No one's our enemy. Uh, Satan's our enemy. Satan is God's enemy. That's why he's our enemy. And he's pretty smart with his tactics. Remember, he's been around a lot longer than you. He's dealt with a lot more people than you. As intelligent as you are, as strong as you are, he's faced much better opposition than you. So none of us should ever think, I've got this covered, right? Uh, Or I know how the tactics work. We don't. Um, And we should be clear, it's a little bit like Zeke playing hide-and-seek. He's a terrible hide-and-seek player, always has been. Uh, And, you know, from a little guy, and even today, Hide-and-seek for him, he thinks he needs to find a new hiding spot every 10 seconds. And so this loud, loud little footprints, you're running around trying to find his tactics. I, I know I can beat them. They've checked over there, I'll go over there. And the whole time, you know, oh, he's running over there, he's running over there, he's running over there. Oh, where are you? I can't find you. And sometimes we can be like that with the devil. Like, I know how to, I know how to win. I know how to stand. I'll stand my ground. I'll push back. Uh, what we need to do is stand in the character of God. We need to stand in faith and trust of God and not in our own strength. And that's what Paul's showing us to do. Um, And the best way this is seen, because ultimately what what Paul is showing us is how to live the life that God has made us to live. And the life that God has made for us to live is to become more and more like Jesus. So if you are becoming more and more like Jesus day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, you're, you're walking in the life that God has for you. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you're still sour and bitter and angry after 20 years, you are missing what God has for you. Um, and so becoming more and more like Jesus means, as Jib said already this morning, we're learning to love God more and more. But the way that we see this, how do you know if you love God more and more, is in relationship with other people. Paul says so plainly in Galatians that basically the whole law of God, of loving God and loving others, can be summed up in loving one another. 
Um, so that whole like bumper sticker, I, you know, I love Jesus but not the church. It's impossible because anyone can love Jesus. There's nothing unlovely about Jesus. Love doesn't just love the lovely. Love loves the broken. Love loves the hurting. Love loves the offensive. Love loves those who cost you. That's the love of Jesus. He died on a cross. That's his love. If Jesus had a bumper sticker like, I love Jesus but not the church, we would have no chance. Jesus' bumper sticker would have to say, I love the broken, I love the sinner, I love the disenfranchised, the lonely, those who can bring nothing to me, they I love. So come to me. And so the way that the love of God is demonstrated, the way we see it, is by love to one another, a commitment to care for one another, show up for one another, be there for one another, and we are costly. I wished I had better news for you. But that, God's news is the best. So this morning we're looking at two things. Um, this is, the sword of the Spirit is the last piece of armor, but Paul kind of jumps straight into this action as well, which isn't part of the armor of God, but it's, it's kind of the way you have to put on all the armor of God as well. So we'll just briefly look at that and, and its prayer. So two things we're going to look at is language that is backed by God and speech that is initiated <coughs> by the Holy Spirit. Um, so language that's backed by God. War is fought with uh, long and short-range weapons. And in past wars, you'd obviously fight with more short-range weapons. Nowadays, we have long-range weapons. We can fight wars in other countries uh, that we're not even in. Um, And obviously, we become more and more like that as time goes on. We'll probably fight wars from different planets. But uh, war is, is, uh, as Paul thinks about it, is the short-range close face-to-face combat. And when he's talking about the sword of the Spirit, you, you know that uh, Roman soldiers also have javelins. So he could have said the javelin of the Spirit. In other words, don't get too close to your enemy, just have a go from far away. But the fact that he says the sword of the Spirit, and, and it's not this massive sword, is he, he says, you know, part of your <coughs> battles are going to be close face-to-face combat. This is like real life in your face. How do I? I woke up this morning. I woke up angry, anxious, worried, uh, uh, sick, all sorts of things I don't like. I wouldn't choose. I wouldn't pick. How do I fight this in a godly manner? Um, You're in face-to-face combat. Anyone in this room, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but let me just make it a statement rather than a question. Everyone in this room faces battles. No one in this room escapes them. If I was you walking through the armor of God, I would be th- sitting there thinking, I hope he says that a more mature Christian uh, is, are the ones that in, are engaged in battle because then I will pick to be a less mature Christian and never have to face the battle. Whew, I don't need to be a hero. I'll just stay in the background. I don't need those battles I'll just live my life and be no, no one to anyone because I'm still happy to be in God's presence in heaven and unknown by everyone else. Doesn't matter who you are, you will face battles. And um, the sword of the Spirit is for close-range fighting. Um, and so what I want to show you is an example of uh, this and how it works out that's failed and then an example of how it works out that fought well. So some, someone who didn't know how to use their sword very well and got beaten up, cut up open, uh, and someone who did use the sword very well. Um, and obviously, we can lean, we need to lean in that way. So the first glimpse of uh, this close combat fighting that we see is right at the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve as the serpent comes into the garden and he says to Eve... This is how it begins, close combat. He takes out his weapon and he says, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? There should be slides for this, I think. Did God actually say? And what is he doing? He's undermining. He's questioning. He's taking out a sword. He's not, he's not going direct to lies. He's, did he? Hmm, I wonder. Isn't that how, like, things, how, we, how we stumble into things? When someone gets caught up in like, a big scandal or sin and they tell their backstory, don't they always say, I never thought it would have come to this. I never, ima- I never chose that. I, I chose this 
and then I chose this, and then I chose this. I, I, I can't, I'm devastated. I, can't, I don't know how I even got you. You know, only the, and, and so that's the, de- the devil's little tactic is can we find a crack and just get a little wedge into it? And slowly over time, we'll just put the wedge in more and the crack will open up greater. So he just poses this, this question. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So let's go back a chapter and hear what God did say. The Lord took the man, Adam, and the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat every tree of the garden. But the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. The devil asks a question that was totally inappropriate. You know how they say there's no such thing as a bad question? There are, most questions are bad. <laughs> Sometimes there are good questions. For example, the devil poses this question that's not even, doesn't even have a leg to stand on. It, it should have no time to be answered. It's a negative question. Did God really say, you shall not? He, he's, he's already lying about the words. What did God say? You shall eat of every tree, but don't eat of that one because it will kill you. There was one restriction, but the question is, did God really say, which means, you know, the next words, and he, he, he rearranges God's words. It's, imagine that in the home. Hey, kids, mom and dad are going out. Eat whatever you like in the house. But please don't eat that puffer fish that we have in the fridge because none of you know how to make it and you'll die. And we leave and one of the kids go to the other kids and say, do you really think dad and mom would say don't eat anything? I mean, they know we'll starve. Well, yeah, it kind of makes sense. You know, they're already abusing our words until eventually they can convince, well, let's eat the puffer fish. You see what I'm saying? So he abuses us. So um, the devil takes the abundant blessing, turns it into a legalistic limitation, which God never said, and he he now has uh, Eve thinking. So Eve replies, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Correct answer. Good. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She knew exactly what God said. But in Galatians, uh, in Genesis 2, she wasn't even there. The Lord God took Adam and told him, you know what's happened? Very good Christian home. Adam has shared with Eve the word of God. So well that she can quote it verbatim. This is exactly what Jesus tells husbands to do in Ephesians 5. Wash your wives with the word of God. Let's know what God has said to us. Let's know what God has called us to. Adam has started so well. Eve has heard God's word. She's believed on God's word, but Satan's not done. He says, oh, you will surely not die. Now he's calling it out straight up. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's not lying about what they will know. He's lying about the result. You will be like God. But he doesn't tell them what it's like to be like God when you can't be God. In other words, my children can be like dad and mom in the home, but they don't know what it actually means for them when they act like dad and mom in the home. We're responsible. We have to lead. We have to pay the bills, we have to get the food, we have to make the food, we have to prepare for the rent inspections, we have to pass the rent inspections, we have to fix all the things that failed in the rent inspections, we have to get them for school, choose the school, get them to school, get them the stuff for school, follow up when they're failing in school, what's going on, none of them have failed, but you know what I mean. How you go and check in with all of them, give each one of them different parenting because they're four people, not robots. So understand under God how they need to be loved and cared for and parented. Blah, 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 blah. Anyone who's a parent knows what I'm talking about. So when they decide, I'm a teenager, I know everything. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm just saying I was a teenager once. I know how this feels. I know how this place should run, and I start leading the family. I remember as a 17-year-old going, I need to remember this when I have a kid that's 17. Basically, I want to lead the family now. My dad's not letting me. Some of you know my dad, and uh, you would know that he wouldn't mind me being honest about that. But that's how I felt. I'm st- I, I see how to do this now. Will he just step aside? And he didn't step aside, so I had to leave home. It's costly. You don't have everything you need. You don't have a job, a wage. 
the skills, uh, the, the capacity to love all the people in your home, the time to make for everyone that needs the love to sit with them and give them the attention, the direction, the vision. Where's your family going? What values do you have? What are the traditions that are going to help you? you? You don't have that. All you really want to do is be, I want to be dad and mom so I can choose that we're going to have dessert before dinner. <laughs> That's what I mean. So it's true that they can be like God, but they can't be God. So they'll lack the power, they'll lack the knowledge, they'll lack the foresight, they'll lack the love, they'll lack the self-giving nature of God, they'll lack every bit of goodness of God, and all they'll be is individualistic, self-centered, humanistic people who are trying to get their own way, but when other people are trying to do that, wars happen. But they're God. Or they're like God. They can do that because they're the biggest voice, right? And so, in our uh, even in our uh, in our world, but in our country, Australia, we have a secular, secular, humanistic society. Everyone is allowed their own truth. Everyone's truth is allowed to be relative to them and their lives. That doesn't produce for a unified nation of people. Each of us in Australia are allowed to be like our own God, as long as we let each other also be like their own God. And how does that work out for us? just doesn't work out that great. So when, Sa- when Satan comes and says, you can be like God, he- he's, not, he's not really lying. He's just not letting them know what, how, how much it's going to suck, how, how much you actually can't be like God. You can't be God, but you can try and replace Him in your life. He didn't tell them the cost of losing God when you act like you're a God. Right? And so uh, Eve... Um, It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, all that happened there, don't don't look too far down on Eve, because all that happened there, she saw something she liked that she wanted, and and she took it. She saw, saw a lifestyle. She saw a job opportunity. She saw... Uh, fashion trend, she saw a meal, she saw a person, and she took it. I mean, we are indoctrinated in Western society to, to take what we want. We're taught and trained. Our education system is around educating us so that we can professionally go take the life we want. She, she's not doing much else. So rebellion isn't this ugly, dark, evil thing. Rebellion is just going and taking for yourself the life that you want to have and being totally unsubmitted to God and the life that He has called you to and the relationships that He's called us to. So when we turn from our sin, we need to remember we're not turning from this like this grossly looking demonic, ugly... So obviously like things like murder and adultery and all those things are obviously um, bad. We see that. But it can also just be self-centeredness, humanism, my own ambitions. We're turning from those things to come and submit ourselves to God and say, Lord, what about me? Do you need to challenge? Do you need to change? What doors of my life do you need to open? What things do you need to close? Secondly, we see Jesus. So that's the example I think we've all fallen into. Secondly, we see Jesus, after he's baptized by John, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and he gets tempted by the devil. And, and there, he, Jesus is reenacting what the Israelites did for 40 years. So for 40 years, the Israelites are in the wilderness, and they're totally dependent on God. God provides them manna and quail um, to eat, for example. They're, they're wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and Jesus is reenacting this for 40 years, this totally dependent on God, being called to God uh, to bring a kingdom, um, and so he's demonstrating this. And after 40 days, you can imagine, he's fasted in the wilderness. Um, he didn't get manna and quail. He got nothing. And you can imagine how uh, hungry he was. So the, and the, devil, the devil comes to him and says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So, you know, he's see, <laughs> he sees Jesus is hungry, and he's got this beautifully design tactic to go, oh, 40 days, you must be a little bit hungry now. I mean, you're a young man, you've been in the wilderness, 
Well, if you're the son of God, that means you, ha- you, you, have, uh, you have the resources to do anything. So why don't you just turn these little rocks into bread? That, that's not going to hurt anyone. Um, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Do you see what's happening here? In Genesis, the devil comes and, and questions the word of God, and, and Adam and Eve initially, or Eve initially, <laughs> responds with the word of God. And eventually when she trips up, it's because she no longer stands on the word of God, but she stands on her own understanding. You see that? The same thing's happening here. The devil comes again, and Jesus does exactly the same thing. He stands on the word of God, just like Eve started. The difference we're going to see, the only difference is that he doesn't lean on his own understanding, but he stays on the word of God. So test two, he says, the devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) The devil starts quoting the scriptures. All right, I see this guy standing strong. Well, let me trip him up by using the scriptures myself. Can you imagine that? Well, I hope you can, because this could happen to you and I. I, I, I don't want to be too um, specific with the country, but there are regular, regularly theologians that might call a nation to war in their minds thinking they're doing something righteous and holy. Why does devil pick, the devil pick this scripture? I, I won't get into it because it's maybe a bit of a side to the sermon, but if you go read Psalm 90, he's quoting Psalm 91. And if you go read Psalm 91, it's a scripture about the Messiah crushing the serpent's head, which comes from this Genesis moment where the God has to come in and go, what have you done? Oh, it's going to be so bad for you now. But one day, one day your son, a child of yours, will come and crush the serpent's head and turn it all around. He prophesies. God prophesies about Jesus in Genesis 3. Then David prophesies about the Messiah that's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head. And part of what he, he, he says in the scripture is this one. So why does Satan know Psalm 91? I, I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, I don't know if the devil has all of scripture memorized. I'm not sure. E- even if he doesn't, I'm sure he can read it. You know, I'm sure he's not less technologically advanced than you and I. If we can Google a scripture and figure out what it means, I'm sure the enemy can too. Not Google, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Let me just get back to it before it gets weird. <laughs> We're trying not to be one of those weird churches I was telling you about earlier. Um, the point I'm trying to make is I'm sure he's familiar with the scripture, whether, whether he's memorized it or not. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But he certainly knows Psalm 91. Why? Because he was there when God uh, promised uh, Satan there will be an end to this. You have devastated humanity, but I will end it righteously. And David, uh, David uh, writes it, prophesies it again. It must have been an awful day for the devil. King, the king of Israel rewrites a prophetic word about the Messiah going to crushing his head. I think that's why it's so close to him. Because it's all about him. But Jesus responds, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Interestingly, he doesn't say, yeah. He doesn't argue and go, yeah, well, that's true. The scriptures do say that, so so it is true, but I'm not going to do it because I don't have to prove anything to you. He just says, no, the scriptures say, don't put the Lord your God to the test. How many of us love to take Gideon's fleece and throw it out every now and then? You know, there's something we feel God's calling us to. We go, okay, God, if this is you, I'm just going to put out a fleece. I'm not even saying don't do that. You know, continue with that. That's fine. I don't think God's like this black and white you cannot ever ask me for it. You know, can you just say that again, God, in a different way? That, that's okay. We see that in our own homes. You, know, you ask your kid, okay, I, think, I know exactly what you said, but can you just restate it for my own self? Sorry about that. I've got a friend. I love the way that he prays. He like, comes to pray and he's like, uh, sorry, God, it's me again. <laughs> I do know what you said. And I know this is like begging of your patience. Um, and you're probably tired of hearing from me, but could you, you know, I, do it, that's not the best, but, but go ahead. But what Jesus, Jesus you know, says is, don't put the Lord your God to the test. There's a, there's a submission to that. 
There's a humility to that. So then Satan goes <coughs> straight to the heart. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. How hard is it to fall down and worship? It's not very hard at all. Most, most Saturdays, uh, our family goes to the beach before it gets too warm. And you can sit there and watch worship happening all over. There's people who fall down to their children. There's children who fall down to ice creams. <laughs> There's uh, a group of, of yo- like fitness people who fall down and worship at the altar of yoga and, and body image. There's, you can just sit there. And, and I'm not saying I'm excluded. You can sit there and watch me falling down at the worship of judging all others and feeling better about yourself. <laughs> I, 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 the point is you can, you, you can just sit there and look at the... Wherever you find people, you can find worship. I remember going to the U2 concert and going, this must be what it's like when Jesus walks into heaven one day. We're all sitting there. You know, Bono came out. People were fainting and crying and singing and worshiping. It was amazing. And Bono wasn't asking to be praised and worshiped. It went beyond, we're, we're so glad to see you, one of the most gifted, talented musicians of our generation, maybe of the history of the world, playing in front of us. This is going to be amazing. It went beyond that to, you are a superior human being. We worship you. It's like, wow, we don't always get our, we don't, I mean, we struggle, for whatever reason, Nas and I grew up quite charismatic, so, we, we, you know, worship for us can be quite charismatic. I've got no problem with dancing, clapping, raising my hands. And yet I lead a church that really struggles to, like, show any movement of themselves in worship. I'm like, I don't even understand that. How could I be the leader of this church that, like, <laughs> where does that come from? I don't even get that. I think Josh and Anna are probably the same. Their history. Can you imagine? No, never mind. <laughs> don't imagine anything. Um, but there you are. You, Bono. <laughs> hands raised. Hearts open could have moved 45,000 people that night to do almost anything. I thought, that's probably what it's like when Jesus walks in. We're all sitting in a great cloud of witnesses, millions and millions of people, and the King of Kings walks in front of us. Jesus! Oh, my God. It would be the first time saying, oh, my God, is true. Oh, my God. None of us will do that and go, oh, it wasn't worth it after all. Jesus says to Satan, you know, now it's about worship. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Isn't it interesting? Like Jesus is almost patient up until that point and and just, you know, but when it comes to worshiping, who you bow down before, Jesus says, you've gone too far, be gone. You shall not worship. You know, he, there's this like change I feel in tone. Be gone is a different to everything else that's been said before. And imagine we had that sort of sensitivity to the idols of our heart and the temptations that came to us. But this is what picking up the sword of the Spirit is about, that something comes before us, a temptation, a longing, a desire, an affection, a thought, an, an ambition, an anger, and we raise our sword and say, be gone. You are tempting me to lay my life down before you. I want to lay my life down before the Lord. I'll, I'll just pause a moment just to say, I, you know, you need to be released of any sort of guilt and, and shame. I love the way Keller used to help say this so helpfully. Or, you know, many Christians might say like, Oh, you know, you get tempted. Oh, I must be such a bad Christian because I got tempted. And, and if I'm honest, I desire the thing that's tempting me. So therefore, I must be like some sort of terrible person. I love the way Keller went. Sometimes being a Christian means that you want to want what God wants for you. Do you, do you understand? You know, that gives me the freedom to say, Jib, can you pray for me? I'm being tempted with greed. And if I'm honest... There's something in my heart that desires it. 
but I want to want what God has for me, and it's not this. So can you pray with me that my heart will not only know what God wants for me, but want what God wants for me because I'm not there today. And we pray for each other. You know, there's no, that's, well, that's what I'm saying. there's no guilt and shame in that. But why wouldn't I want to say that? Because if Jeff finds out that actually that greed uh, is, is not just coming at me, it's inside of me, he'll think less of me. He might go, oh, Mark, I'm surprised to hear that from you. <laughs> Crushing. Oh, no, do you think less of me now? What should he say? Mark, I'm entirely unsurprised to hear that from you. All of us are having our hearts and our minds still move towards godliness. And it's such a relief to know that you want, you still want what God wants for you. You want to want what God wants for you. Let's go there. None of us would uh, struggle with our children if we said, don't touch the fire. And our child turned around to us and said, "I, I hear what you're saying. I just want you to know I deeply desire to touch this fire. It's beautiful. And I feel like a moth to the flame. I would like to dive into it. But I want to want what you I want to want to obey you. Can, can you guys just help rescue me? None of us would go, oh you terrible child. Yeah, absolutely, I understand. I understand the attraction. I understand the lure. Let's come and walk with me. And one day, your heart will also want to not touch the fire. But for now, I'll rescue you. And we can rescue each other all the time. Okay, let's move along quickly. Um, so, uh, just how, let's, get, let's start getting practical, and, and I'll land, I'll, I'll skip a bit, and, and we'll uh, just get a bit practical and land some things. Paul over here chooses, uh, in the Greek, he chooses to use the words rhema rather than logos. So if you think about John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the word logos that it's talking about there, that Jesus is the Word of God, the logos of God. Logos is really like the objective, written, truth, Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus, you know, the, Jesus is the objective truth of God. You, you, you cannot separate God's Word from God's character and nature. That's why in Genesis God spoke everything into being, because God's power can't be separated from His words. His faithfulness can't be separated from words. So, if, you know, if I say, oh, I'll see you at one o'clock, I might arrive at 105, because I'm not as faithful as, as my words are. If God says, I'll see you at one o'clock, He won't see you at 12.59 or 101. He will see you at one o'clock. And if he's there at one o'clock and two seconds, you can be sure that the clock's wrong. <laughs> his words and his character are totally inseparable. They are totally congruent with each other. So Jesus being the Word of God means that Jesus is in every single way God. He is the truth. But if Paul was saying here, you know, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Logos of God, what he might be saying to us, or what we might take from this when we apply it, what we preach and what we, we might be saying, hey, go memorize some scriptures, go have some like bread for the day, and then like just take that out when you need it. That's, that's what you really need. You just need to have like some objective truths in your mind. And that is very good advice, by the way. Sorry, that's not terrible advice. <laughs> but he's saying the rhema word of God, and that was slightly different because the rhema word of God, what isn't different to the logo, they, they, they're very much the same. Don't, don't like divorce them from each other. But the rhema has it not only the objective kind of written established word, the rhema has it this, this extra little bit of like God is speaking this now aspect to it. It's still the same logos, but it's being spoken now for this situation. And so when Paul says take up the rhema word of God, he's saying, you know, don't just pick up your Bible and throw around any verse willy-nilly and that's not what God's called you to. You're not Bible bashers. There's no, like, power in Jib's ginormous five-kilogram Bible. There is some. You can knock some people out. But it won't be the Word of God. It'll just be the thick amounts of paper. Jesus, pick up the rhema Word of God. What is God saying now to that situation? Let God by His Spirit. That's why it's the sword of the Spirit, not the sword of your memory. Let God, the sword of the Spirit... Uh, pick up the word God, speak to this situation, speak to this hurt, speak to this offense, speak to this confusion. H- how, God, would you, s- would you bring your word to bear over here? H- 
How does God's word never return void? Because God always knows what to say in every situation. And so Paul uses that word instead, so that we have this like anticipation, this curiosity, this hunger for God. What does your word say? Jesus was the one who gave us this. He said, he taught us to pray every day. Give us today our daily bread. And then he taught us that our bread wasn't food, but our bread was the will of God, the word of God. And so he wasn't only teaching us to rely on God for food, he was teaching us to rely on God for his word for the day. What are you saying to us? What are you speaking to us, Lord? And Paul kind of agrees, not kind of, Paul totally agrees with this. So how do we apply scriptures? Let me give you a few examples of some poor skills in this, because it's something we can grow in. But it's also something you can be really good in right from the beginning. Remember the story I've told so many times when uh, Regan got saved and someone told him to get baptized, his first question was, is that in the Bible? Is that in God's Word? Show me it. You know, he's been saved for like five minutes and he's already standing on the Word of God. If you don't know what the Bible says yourself, just lean on others. You don't, you, know, you don't have to have it all in your head. Hey, guys, this is what's going on. This is kind of the way I mean. What is the, does this align with God's Word? Is it, does this sound like truth? Let me give you some uh, examples of maybe some unskillful. Uh, Matthew 7 verse 1 says, Do not judge lest you be judged. That's a terrible, uh, scary verse. Do not judge lest you be judged, Jesus says. So you walk down the road and you see a man pushing his partner dangerously. And he's been physical with his female partner. And you go, in me, I'd like to like, stop the car and address this, but who am I to judge, lest I be judged? That's a poor use of Scripture. You know, just drive past, whatever, that's between them and God. It's not between them and God. You need to stop the car. If you, you need to get involved and make it end. Make the abuse end. Most times. And probably I'm speaking more to the, the gentleman right now. You know, what about if you've got a friend and your friend goes, man, I've been dating this girl. She's like my dream girl. I think one day I'm going to marry her and we're going to like serve God together and we're going to have lots of children. And just so you know, we've started sleeping together, but that's okay because it's just between us and, um, you know, it's, it's a closed relationship and, you know, it's not a really big deal. It's just, you know, we eat good food together and now we have sex together. It's just like a great relationship. And you go, well, you know, I think the Bible says that sex is for marriage, but who am I to judge? You know, I better not say it because actually um, I was angry with my wife this morning and the Bible also says I shouldn't be angry with my wife. So I'm in no position to tell my friend not to sleep with his girlfriend. Because if he, then he could just go, well, you shouldn't have been angry with your wife and then where are we left? You see what I'm trying to say? Those are terrible skills. Those, that's terrible sword usage. You should totally take out your sword and say, my brother, you are, um, I see your love for this girl, but if you truly love her, deeply love her, you'll want what God wants for her. And honestly, I can say before the Lord, He does not want you sleeping with her. Not outside of the covenant that, that you can, and you, you can unpack God's love for her. But if you continue with this, I think all you're convincing me is that you're more interested in your own desires than what God wants for her. And that's a dangerous thing. Uh, Luke 2, 14, 26 says, uh, <laughs> it's a scripture where Jesus goes, unless you, you know, unless you hate your father and mother and brothers and sisters and me, put me first, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Poor skills. Dad turned 60. Has a massive birthday party, taking everyone to Rottnest. And you go, sorry, Dad, can't be there. I go to church on Sundays. And truth be told, Dad, I love Jesus and I hate you. <laughs> and I'm just being biblical. You're, you're totally missing what Jesus is saying. You, you're, that's not the sword of the Spirit. That's the sword of legalism and religion. That's not what the Lord's saying. But there may be another time where you do have to put Jesus before family, and it is skillful. Anyway, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hurrah! All of you, you're winners. You can do everything. Do you know what Paul's talking about there? Anyone besides Nass? I know she does. Anyone? Just have a go. Just shout it out. I'll just tell you. He's talking about having contentment. He's actually saying, I can be content 
in every situation because Jesus will strengthen me. Is that how we use it in Western uh, Christianity? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so when I don't get the promotion, I can do that. When I don't get accepted, I can do that. When I, I get rejected, let down, disappointed, hurt, offended, I can do that because Christ will strengthen me. That's not so much what we're saying. I've got this job coming up. I can do it. I can win it. I can be better than everyone because Christ will strengthen me. I'll be the winner. Mm, that's not the sword of the Spirit. Uh, that's just the sword of you wanting what you want. So there's a skillfulness we can grow to know God's Word, what He says, to the accusations, lies, temptations that come our way, and we can apply it wonderfully. So um, when we feel great temptation knocking on our door, we can think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, don't worry. Basically it says, you know, no, no temptation can come towards you that's uncommon to man, and God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So, firstly, Paul recognizes you will face temptation. When you do face temptation, first of all, don't let the enemy make you think you're weird. I must be some really strange Christian because I have this temptation. Surely if I love Jesus, I wouldn't. Mm, Paul says, you not, there's no temptation that's uncommon to man. There's other people just like you. And then secondly, there's no temptation that God doesn't have control over. God can help you through this. You're, you're, you're not too weak. You're not alone. God, God can rescue you from this. What a relief. I, I'm, not, I'm not weird. I'm not broken. I'm not defunct. I mean, I am broken, but I'm not, I can be put together in, in God. I'm not the one Christian that can't have victory in Christ. Oh, there's other people like me. What a relief. And God is able to help me through this. What a relief. Go to Hebrews 4, 4, verse 15, 16. It says, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin, which means that he understands and he, he prays for us and intercedes for us, which means I can come to the throne of grace and say, Jesus, I don't have to hide this thing from you because you're so pure and righteous and holy and I don't want you to think less of me. I can come to you and say, Jesus, you dealt with this in a righteous and wonderful way. Can you please help me? I am really struggling. You faced it. Thank you. You know what I'm going through. That's pulling out the sword. Skillfully, more skillfully. So how can we sharpen our swords? Uh, quickly, and I'll be done in a few minutes, set some time aside to get to know your Bible. If you're able to read, and, and that's not too much of a terrible thing for you, uh, do that. There's many ways to get to know your Bible. If you can't read the Bible, um, then and find a version of the Bible that's easy to read. Uh, but, but read your Bible. If you can't, you can get an audio Bible. If you can't get that, find some really faithful preaching of the Bible. But one way or another, get the Bible into you. Find some hymns that are rich in Bible truths. The song we sang today, we're, I was so blessed, we're, we're, you know, the vast majority of it is just coming out of Scripture. So learn songs, or you know, good ones. Don't just uh, pick up anything. Um, there's a lot of romantic... Christian music that is that is not truth that you can stand on. It's just boyfriend girlfriend sort of stuff. Uh, you need some weighty truth. So you know, there's read your Bible, but there's many ways to get to know your Bible. Um, choose if you want to get, get grow a little bit more in understanding how to apply. You, you, I really want to encourage you to get to gospel application. It's one. It's kind of one thing to know the bullets that you've got, but really understand how can I apply these to my life so that the enemy doesn't use them against me as judgments, you know, it kind of pressed me down as he tried with Jesus using the Bible to stand against him. So you can get, if you don't mind showing the slide, you can get expositional, com uh, these are devotionals, uh, uh, just go to the first one, it's fine. These are devotionals which are really great, they just show us gospel centrality, the bottom one is the New City Catechism, it asks these 52 questions, one question a week that you can do with the family that just help us uh, ground ourselves in deep truths of Scripture. Um, the others are just examples. There's many good ones, but these are devotionals that take a Scripture and then apply it to life. What does it look like? And these are, you know, it takes us five minutes in the morning to read a page of that in the afternoon, in the evening, when you're on the toilet. It, it really, but learning the habit of how do you apply truth to real life so I don't sound like 
a religious Christian that's just standing on truth. I don't even really understand or know to apply, but it's not attractive to anyone else, but I'm a Christian. I better just hold on. No, Jesus and the gospel is beautiful truth that gives us abundance for life. It's food for our, our, us. And so get to know how to apply it. Get skillful in the sword and let other people help us. So these are things. And then there's expositional commentaries. Uh, if you can just, those are some where it will take a portion of Scripture. I've just chosen Galatians as an example. And these are five good expositions on it where it will take a portion of Scripture and then expound it. That's what exposition is. What we try and do in, in church on Sundays is expound the meaning to some practical help for us uh, the bottom two are great commentaries if you're, if you're a student or a preacher or something, but they're exegetical. You want to avoid those if you're looking for devotional applications um, because they might take a Greek word and unpack the whole history for 40 pages of the Greek word and its tense. And, it's, and you may get to the end of it and go, clearly I don't care about God's word because I fell asleep five times. Just avoid them. Avoid them. If that's what God wanted for us, he, he would have exegeted for you the Scriptures Himself. But there are great tools if you, if you really want to understand and dig deep into some te technical uh, understanding of, of Scripture. You know, um, but the top five are just expositional. Find expositions, applications of the Gospel to, of, of the Scriptures. And get to know them. Read them. Apply them. Get to know them. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us apply the Scriptures and read and read and read. If the Holy Spirit speaks to us while we're reading, Michael Eaton used to say, you know, if you open up your Bible and you start reading it and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, just stop. Just stop right there and just let God speak to you from His Word. If you've read for 20 minutes and you've finished a couple of chapters and you don't feel like God has said anything to you, it's okay, just pray and just come back tomorrow. Paul finally concludes with prayer, and I'm not going to get into it at all. But basically, the way that Paul goes is, the way that we put on all this armor is through prayer. And Paul says, pray for me, and pray for the saints, and pray for this. And he says, do all kinds of prayer. So how am I supposed to pray? You can go read a lot of books on prayer. Isn't that an odd thing? Let me write a book about praying. The books are sometimes very thick. Seems very odd. Paul Miller writes the best book on it. Very good book, I think. One of the best books. But basically, I can sum up the whole book for you in a sentence. Talk to God like a child would talk to a parent. That's prayer. Take everything. A child's not afraid to admit anything, ask for anything, say anything. They just come to dad and mom. They know they're loved if they know they're safe, and they just talk. They talk from the heart. They talk from the head. They talk from their imagination. They ask for things that will kill them, they, and they don't think about it twice. And when you say no, they don't walk away going, I'm such a terrible child. How could I have asked for that? So great. I can ask for that because you know what you're doing. I don't, so I can just ask for whatever. And hopefully, as they get to know you, they, get to they, get, they change their asking because they get to know what you like. As we talk to God, as we pray, as we bring all things before Him, hopefully we get to know what He's like as we're in His Word and we see uh, how God is and who He is and how He responds. We begin to understand God more and more as we grow. But we pray freely. Language that is backed by God is the Word. It's rhema. It's got to be spoken. You know, do you know what word you're standing on today? If the enemy is doing something in your life, if you feel insecure, if you feel hurt, if you feel weak, if you feel... Do you know what you're standing on? There's not a Christian in this room who should be drowning in guilt or shame. But do you know why? What is the truth in Jesus you're standing on? There's not a Christian in this room who should be sitting arrogantly, boastfully, proudly. Every, let me say it positively. Every one of us in this room should be uh, feeling ourselves boiling up with humility and courage. Humility, we've got some things to learn. Jesus had to die for us. The guy who tried to drown me in the ocean, is, is, his sins are no worse than my own unspoken things. 
Oh God, we all need you. But courage, oh, you love us. You did die for us. You have saved us. You have rescued us. And speech that is initiated by the Holy Spirit. God, we come to you. We pray. We ask. We talk. We intercede. We stand in, some, in the gap of someone else. Jackie's in hospital. She can't stand for herself. We pray for her, God. The Ukraine and Russia are in war. We don't understand. We stand for them, God. Houses are burning in our city. Lives are being destroyed. God, we are, our city is broken and in desperate need of you. Oh, God of mercy and kindness, we need you. This is what we see in Jesus. On the cross, he stands on the truth, the word of God. That's what put him there. God said the serpent, the Messiah will crush the head of the serpent, and the cross is where the serpent's head got crushed. And it looked like foolishness to the world. It's death. It looked like weakness to the world. You're hanging on a cross. How could you be the Messiah? It looked like Satan was winning the day, but the foolishness of God and the weakness of God was the wisdom of God and the strength of God made manifest. And in that moment, the righteous one was freeing the unrighteous from the penalty for their sins by taking on the punishment for their sins. We hear the child of God, the son of God, crying out to the Father in prayers for all people, those who abused him and cussed at him and pierced him and, and, you know, with words and, and spat on him, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is praying. He's talking to the Father on the cross. Father, let them have mercy. Let them know your love. Let them know your grace. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They are not our enemy. And as God turns, has to turn from Jesus so that he will never have to turn from us, so that he can say, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we could be welcomed in, Jesus prays again, why have you forsaken me? Why am I alone? You are alone, Jesus, so that we never have to be alone. You are facing our punishment. And then in his final breath, He lifts up the words again, led by the Spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust my life. I I now die. I trust my life into your hands, Father. The word and prayer. It's not going to lead to comfort in the sense of a good life, the, the, the perfect life without pain or suffering. But it leans us to trust God. And it takes us to God's wisdom, and it takes us to God's strength. But sometimes God's wisdom and strength look like foolishness and weakness to us. I'm going to hand over to Job, but let us turn back to Jesus, whatever's going on in our lives. Let us stand upon the word of truth, take our sword out and hold it, whether we're flicking off the sword of the enemy or whether we're taking ground. Let us open our mouths in prayer. Even if it's our dying words, Father, I don't understand, but you alone do I trust.